A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in today's episode? I interviewed Belvinder Kurana, Principal Data Architect at ThoughtWorks. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Belvinder's point of view. Number one, data mesh is not a silver bullet, and not everyone is ready to do data mesh. Others have stated that, but it's crucial to repeat this multiple times. Number two, a data mesh doesn't happen in a vacuum right? It's not that all of a sudden these are greenfield companies, right? You need to assess if you are really ready and does it align first to your business strategy and second to your data strategy. Number three, if you do decide to move forward on a data mesh implementation, really consider how you will measure progress and success against your business goals, right? If you just go into it and say, we think we're succeeding, that's not going to get you further funding and things like that. Number four, to evaluate data mesh appropriately, consider what business value having better data practices would bring to your company. And is your company aligned into the lines of business or would you need to reorganize your business? Are you prepared to extend your line of business practices to data? Are you really ready for doing something like this? Or is it what a lot of people have done historically with data and just been like, we need to do data right. So let's just invest in it. Number five, a common failure pattern in analytics has been not looking at the intelligence cycle, changing your operational systems and processes as a result of insights. Don't just generate insights. Insights must generate action. Data mesh must avoid this trap as well. Number six, even if existing centralized data team setups have significant bottlenecks, 
data consumers typically eventually get their needed data. Those data consumers can see something like data mesh as a risk. Will they still be able to eventually get the data they need? Is eventually getting to faster access to new data worth the perceived risk to them? It's important to kind of look at that. Number seven, if you have resistance to data mesh, look at delivering necessary capabilities to your data producers and or consumers in a small scale incremental way and not specifically tying that in their mind to data mesh. Tie those incremental capabilities to business value instead. Number eight, look to constantly communicate the what and the why of improvements to your platform to drive engagement. What is the purpose? Why should they care? Number nine, it's easy to fall into the trap of trying to iterate everything constantly. There's a concept of good enough for now. Don't be focused on getting everything perfect. That juice is not worth the squeeze. Number 10, a good signal to reevaluate your domain boundaries is, you know, a dashboard is still used, but the owner no longer uses it. They don't want to own it anymore, so you need to find that new owner. That probably means changing business boundaries if the original user doesn't even use it anymore, right? So that's a good signal to look out for. Number 11, to drive buy-in for data transformation, especially something like data mesh, you should look to drive it from both top down and bottom up if possible. It can work with only one, but support from both makes it much, much easier. This has been something a lot of people have kind of hit on as well in past episodes. Number 12, it's okay to start out with lots of manual processes when you're doing something like data mesh. Just be conscious about where you want to automate. Take on tech debt consciously. And finally, number 13, it's easy to get caught up in the trap of trying to optimize for time of market, time to market on every use case. But you need to balance time to market against quality and scope. You don't get to pick all three and might not even get to pick two. Look at what's really crucial to that use case for driving the most value. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Balvinder Kurana here, who is the principal data architect at ThoughtWorks. And, you know, a lot of the episodes we've talked about are from people that are kind of at the, that are head of the the implementation and, and are specifically leading it. And a lot of times we haven't covered as much of the actual kind of on the ground practitioner's view. So Balvinder has been you know, doing a lot of that practitioner work as well as interacting with the practitioners at, at clients. Um, and so talking about how you can uh, really think about the on the ground work instead of just kind of a lot of the theory. So I think this is going to be really helpful for folks that are really kind of in the, okay, we, we get what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to do, but like, let, let's talk about like 
some stories of <laughs> what's worked well, maybe what hasn't worked as well as well. So, um, and so we're going to talk about uh, that practitioner's view as we talk about how do you evolve your data platform for data mesh, um, kind of working in a setup where you're not trying to make a hard shift towards data mesh, that you're trying to kind of make a slow and gentle move towards it. And so you're not telling everybody, we're doing data mesh, we're doing data mesh. And um, that data mesh is is also not, you know, it's not a data strategy, right? It, it isn't the strategy itself. It's not just about implementing a strategy. It, it is about kind of changing the culture in the organization into such a way that you, that everybody can work together because, you know, there's all these organizational uh, challenges in a lot of uh, places where e- even if people wanted to work together, there's a lot of momentum against doing that. And so like, how do we set ourselves up to succeed in that in the long run? So uh, very excited to cover a lot of those. Um, Balvinder, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure, sure, Scott. Thanks for having me. And uh, hello and welcome, everyone. I am Balvinder. I work as a data architect with ThoughtWorks. Uh, interestingly, I started out as a backend developer, jumped into data by accident from 10 years back. And since then, I've been loving working with data. So I work extensively with data-driven systems, creating, uh, you know, solution data architectures for our clients, helping them in their data strategy. And internally, I'm also leading the global data community for ThoughtWorks. So that's about me. Awesome. And, and I think let's start a little bit around where where have you seen the, you know, your, your communicating with a lot of people around your global data community lead as well. So you're, you're also taking in a lot of information from others. Um, you know, a lot of people who are listening are bought into to data mesh, but there's a, a lot of people inside their organizations that aren't. And there's a lot of people um, maybe that are listening that are like, I'm just checking this out. So when you're starting to think about whether data mesh is right for uh, an organization, like a client, what are you like looking for and how, how are you looking for whether they could even do it, right? It might be that this is the perfect thing that would solve all of their challenges, but there's no way it would ever work. So like, how do you start to think about that, that aspect? And how do you think about then, how, <laughs> how do you take that? Yeah, let's move forward and start to figure out what should we actually do and when? <laughs> No, I think that's a very important question, uh, Scott. And I think uh, I would actually want all of my clients also to think that way, to to have this question at back of their mind when they start talking about, uh, you know, implementing data or implementing data meshes. I think, as we said, data mesh is not a data strategy and not every organization at every point of time is ready for data mesh, right? So it might take some time for an organization to become ready for data mesh. It might take uh, some more maturity to become ready for data mesh. And to be able to figure all of these different uh, combinations of where my organization is and how I can take my organization forward in the data strategy, I think first uh, and foremost step is to understand the current lay of land. What are my key challenges? Where am I today, where I want to be, 
and then come up with these different artifacts that we uh, usually call data strategy these artifacts consist of what is my business vision right data does not exist in isolation it is not exclusive it has to align with my business strategy so if i want to be let's say uh, you know a top media broadcaster or you know the top bank in 10 years down the line if that's my business goal and how can i find out a data strategy that aligns with that business goal once i've done that uh, i think the next step is to figure out how do i measure my success and we still not talked about data we're still only talking about business its vision how do we measure the success and once all of that is established now is the time to go to data now is the time to figure out how data can help achieve these measures or how data can help me measure metrics which tell me how forward i've moved in my journey how data can help me reach that business vision and after that are the more granular steps of do i want to change my operating model do i want to have some different uh, data architecture in place and once these things start coming up then i can say oh this looks more closer to a data mesh sort of uh, you know concept or thinking and then can i think about implementing data mesh to execute this data strategy uh, i think starting with data strategy uh, data mesh as the first step is probably not the right way to go you need to do all of this homework before you can say i want to do data mesh for my organization or my organization is ready for data mesh and what what would be i mean i think that's a lot of really good insights and it's it's funny how often when i'm having these conversations with people that are doing data mesh well that people start from the what's your business strategy before we talk about any of this thing what's your business strategy like let's talk about you know um, I was talking with, with somebody this week and we were talking about how funny it is that every company is a data company. And it's like, no, like, you know, uh, my, uh, my dad was a radiologist for a number of years and he, there was a small company, um, that he worked with just a bunch of radiologists. Right. And so like data about the images and things like that obviously is very important, but they're not running advanced analytics to try and significantly expand their business and do all these things. And that they're, it, it just, it was like, okay, simple things about like how efficient is somebody and things like that. They don't need something overly complex. They don't need anything crazy like that. Um, but so much of this is like, are, are we ready? Like what, you're you're working with um, a couple of of clients out there, and you're you're kind of working to have them transition more in in this direction. So, what were the actual signals that you found? Like, there are a lot of people who I think are trying to just head towards doing data mesh, and they're not ready. So, like, what would you say are the signals as to okay, I think they are ready, or I think they're ready for the slow move instead of the hard shift, like what, 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 what are you seeing that would tell you that this is the right call and that somebody is actually ready? Like what, what are the thing, you know, if somebody's bought in, yes, I think we're ready. Let's, let's assess it. But what if they're not even thinking about that at this point, what would you start to say, okay, here are some signals that somebody would be ready or, or that somebody isn't. Yeah. Interesting. I think, uh, the way we approach it or I would approach it is multi-pronged. Uh, one of the area you already touched upon where you said that 
it might not make sense to for a new organization or you know organization that has just started to do all of the analytics in the world right so i think the first uh, point is to figure out those value cases that your organization wants to achieve right so the first bucket uh, is, is is the requirements of the organization where they want to head the second bucket i feel is what are the problems they are facing right now right uh, one of the ways traditionally organization built their data platforms or data warehouses like once they realize data is going to help them they have seen other companies win with data they also wanted to do this and they would just dump all of their organization's data in, into a central data warehouse or a data platform so to say and then probably not thinking a lot about the first bucket which was the requirements bucket right and they'll start seeing the failures of such a strategy right they don't understand what to do with this data they don't understand how to connect all of these different data points and what value this data can bring to tie it back to their business vision so i think that's the second bucket uh, which i would treat as a signal for an organization to move in the data mesh direction and the third bucket for me is how organization is currently structured a um, lot of organization have already matured the concept of business units or micro organizations within organization right so these organizations would have an hr domain or a hr business unit or a marketing domain marketing business unit finance domain and the people and the process within these business units have a very clear belonging to these business units they know that this is the boundary that i'm operating in for both the people and process sometimes even the operational systems right uh, gone are the days of you know really wide uh, sap kind of erp kind of systems now we have smaller operation operational systems working in that domain so that's the third bucket where is organization in terms of maturity uh, in creating these business units and once all of these three start aligning together that's where you can have conversations regarding data mesh that's where you can start talking about extending these boundaries and these concepts to the data platform as well yeah and and i think that i liked that you talked about you know everybody thinks okay well we want to be data driven and it's like but what what would data informed data driven whatever you want to call it what would that actually get you right like what is there a re, like people are so focused on I would get value from doing this versus what is the return on investment and how quickly can you get there right what's your internal rate of return because great this thing what you're looking at it might return 100 it might net you 100 million dollars of profit but if it's going to cost you 150 million dollars to do it <laughs> yes. from, from, or I guess not net you but net you 100 million dollars of it incremental revenue or whatever and it's going to cost you 150 million to to do it like it's not worth it don't do that that's silly like whatever so i think uh, surprise to hear like every client we speak to comes with this question can we do this real time okay we'll do this but how often would you use this information or this report uh probably end of the day and <laughs> That's sort of the same point that you were talking about. The return on investment, people are not thinking about it. Yeah, it's uh, the, well, and you start to ask what what is real time? Why do you want it real time? And they're like, I just don't want it on a 48 hour delay. And it's like, so like a, a two or a four hour delay 
uh, with it. And it's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. It's like, okay, the, you just said real time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, but I think that's the, the other thing of, of even talking with a lot of people about requirements gathering and data mesh and the number of times it hasn't been that people just haven't actually asked the questions. They've just taken the requirements as requirements instead of mm-hmm. what are you actually trying to achieve? Let's talk about what you're trying to achieve and how can you get there, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay, if you were thinking about like cooking or something like that and you're like, oh, okay, well, I want to um, I, I want to have like a, a nice, you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, you have to go through these 17 steps to do this like really complicated thing. And it's like, what do you want? Oh, well, I just wanted like some chicken stock. And it was like, you have to go through all this, like all this craziness. And it's like, but what, what is the actual output? Oh, I just wanted this one thing. It's like, okay, but why did you do all these other things? Well, I thought that was the way we had to do it. And it's like, no, like, let's, let's be clear about what do you want? Do you want just like a simple meal at the end of the day or or whatever. And you think, oh, you need to add all these different crazy things. Like you have to go and, and, uh, grow all your own plants and you have to do all the, and it's like, I can just go to the store and buy this stuff. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think and in terms of data, we often talk about then the intelligence cycle. Um, when we were talking about these big central data layer, lake houses or, you know, data platforms or data warehouses, uh, one of the reason of failure of such systems was they were not able to complete the intelligence cycle. And that's the point where what when we were saying that, what's the value out of it? I can have, you know, hundreds of beautiful dashboards and reports. I can have thousands of KPIs. But how does this feed back into my operational systems directly or indirectly? How does this con- generate new data points, which eventually improves my business process? And finally impacts my bottom line or top line. So that cycle needs to complete in order to uh, take the organization, become a data-driven organization. Yeah, I, I think that like, okay, so what? Like, why are you doing this is, is important. And, and one thing that um, Marisa Fish had talked about, which I think is really important and, and interesting in Data Mesh to really think about, is when you're thinking about like, what are we trying to do with this? She was mm-hmm. saying like, are we trying to like, why are we sharing information? Are we trying to share it to augment, to allow somebody to create their own insights and augment their own uh, thinking? Or are we trying to share a point of view and that you're sharing that insight that's already packaged? And then you can maybe even think of a third step of you're trying to share the, the insight and the point of view around that insight and what they should do with it. And I think we need to be a lot more intentional, uh, exactly what you're talking about, the intelligent cycle of, okay, we're, we're going to make everybody data-driven. So we're going to give everybody these this access to this data. And that's going to, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the South Park thing where it's the underpants gnome and there there's uh, their, their profit plan is step one, steal underpants, step two, question mark, step three, profit. And it's like, okay, that step two matters, right? Like, <laughs> You can't just, you can't just be, do the, um, you know, become, you know, uh, produce all this data. Step two, eh, step three profit. Like we have to really think about the intentionality through the cycle. Yeah. Agree. So, so let, let's, let's jump into a little bit about like at the actual practitioner's view, like um, how have you been 
finding these things that are going to move the needle and starting to move that needle uh, because it, it is it is nice to talk about, okay, we're going to drive value, but like, how do you find the things that are going to drive the value? And then how do you start to move people in that direction, especially not hard shift moves? Like how, how have you found that that's worked? Yeah. Uh, I think this is interesting. And uh, I'm coming from the experience that I had with one of our clients, we were working for them. They had an established again, uh, you know, a lot of business units, but a central data team, right? So a business intelligence team or a platform that will cater to all of these different, uh, you know, 10,000 business units within the organization. It was a huge enterprise, existing platform, everything was there. Uh, They had, you know, cycle time of around two months, three months. So if someone needed some new information, they would request the data team. The data team would then reach out to 10 different more teams to figure out how to create that information and present it to the consumers. So this was their existing setup. Uh, And as you said, like hard switch uh, in something that is already established from years is very, very difficult. Uh, People were comfortable with the fact that although it takes two months, but at the end of the two months, we get what we want. And we don't know with the new thing that we introduced to us, uh, you know, uh, whether we'll be able to get that thing successfully or not. So I think that's one of the biggest roadblocks that we face when we work with organizations who have existing data platforms. And this is aside of all the technical aspects, right? So they would have a lot of monolithic tools in place. They would have all of this data uh, stored in one central data lake. All of that technical stuff uh, is something that uh, comes later. But the first thing is, these people challenges, uh, you know, the process challenges. We have this established process. I know which person to reach out to to do this work. They would not want to change it. And even the organizational aspects, we just spoke about ROI, right? And the organization would start talking about a lot of different costs associated with it. What happens to my business continuity if you want to change this existing process, right? And all of these start playing when you want to sort of do that hard switch. And that's where, you know, uh, taking small steps, uh, keeping all of these things in mind where you want to still have business continuity, where you want to still uh, let people feel comfortable about whatever you're doing and still deliver value incrementally becomes really, really important. Um, and I think we had to become really smart about it. So when we would talk internally, we would know what's the end goal. So that is also important. Uh, You should have some vision because otherwise you will just be all over the place. We knew that we want to reach here. Today we are here. So the as is and to be was defined in our minds. And we had these small milestones created for us. Uh, But the way you communicate it to the client would change, right? So you do not say that, hey, listen, I'm doing this data product for you. But you will say things like, can we do some partitioning around data so that it's more manageable? Can we do some, you know, configuration-driven components so that, you know, it's easy to spin up the same component again and again? So those were the kind of conversations that we had with client. Um, if we go to more detailed uh, practitioner's view, so for example, I was using AWS, so S3 buckets. Uh, can we do partitioning around S3 buckets, which are more data product-oriented? 
can I create transformation jobs that are just talking about that one S3 bucket data and not moving beyond that, right? And can I now slowly start also involving the people aspect of it? So if I'm talking about this particular data product, I know which team is producing this data. Can I start slowly onboarding them on this infrastructure and this and this uh, you know code and all of the other things that we have created? Hey, look, this is the data that you are generating. This is how we are consuming this data. And this is where we are storing this data. And this is just that uh, information sharing in the beginning and not talking about ownership at all, because that's also one of the point of contention, right? If we start talking about ownership, people run away. I know my job. I'm not taking additional responsibilities is like the common response. <laughs> so that's how slowly we started, you know, onboarding people, tech, everything onto this philosophy of creating some small boundaries what happened next was a win right so when we created one such boundary and you know one fine day this team comes up to us says that hey you know what we wanted to introduce a new kpi and we already know the code and the data thanks to all the information sharing sessions earlier and we feel that you know we can do this by ourselves and that's where we also now started handing out the ownership stuff. So we said, okay, you can do it. Uh, and, you know, as a classic ThoughtWorks practice, we said that we'll also pair with you. So one of the member from the data team could pair with your product team and we can onboard you in terms of ownership as well. And that was pretty quick. Uh, just to give you some statistics from few months of onboarding such new KPIs, we had reached a level where we could onboard a KPI within a day. And that was all possible because the people who are working with this data closely were doing all of this stuff. They knew that if I want to calculate X, which depends on A, B, C, and D, where are my, where are my A, B, C, D, and how can I consume that? And how can I calculate X, right? I think that very, very fat. It, it's, it's funny because you're talking about it took you a long time to get to um, being able to prove out that everything you had done was already worth it. And so it is that chicken and egg scenario of like, how do I get the the things kind of in place? Some people are kind of talking about skunk works for data mesh. And, and I don't like that in a lot of places because it's it so much of it is about ownership, but you've already got this brownfield of if you can set it up so that people can more easily manage the their data assets, you know, we're not thinking about data products, we're not thinking of data as a product, we're not even doing any of that, like mindset shift, but that if you do set it up so that people can do much more, much more easily, at least manage what they've got going, that you can start to, to then say, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we did this extra little bit? Or wouldn't it be nice if we did this? So I can see um, people that are out there that are trying to move forward that are, don't have the mandate really find those places for manageability and maintainability. Is, is that is that kind of, I mean, that's what I took from what you said. Is that how you would think about it? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, that's one aspect of it. I think uh, once you start doing this, the other things slowly follow, right? Uh, where you said that, uh, let's do something more. So when we said that, okay, you take this ownership, calculate your KPIs. And because we already had other 
common capabilities as framework in place we say that hey you know what uh, i think it would be good if you could uh, figure out what your pis are or what your sensitive information is use this framework uh, figure out what kind of security you want in this data and just plug it in right and you know you slowly start adding more and more layers on top of it 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 starts flowing into governance it starts flowing into data quality it starts flowing into data security so i think uh, more than manageability it's all of these different aspects as well yeah yeah well and i'm just thinking of it's it's funny the whole debate or whatever between manage, or modern data stack and and data mesh and now everybody's saying both are dead or what i don't know it's it's there's silly uh, marketing stuff out there but um modern data stack to me has always been dangerous because it doesn't have manageability and maintainability right it's about rushing to getting something into production as soon as possible because you go i found value therefore i have to get it into production and then the cost starts to you know the the value might still be steady state but the cost really starts to come up and so okay i jumped to to uh value my cost starts out here and then it's just you know and it comes and uh so i think it's uh it's important for us to communicate that internally as to when we're making these changes, how, like what, what is actually going to be the end output for the here and now, but also the long run. So how how did you, how did you get people to be kind of on board with um, spending a little bit more time, a little bit more effort now for Mm -hmm. the long run when everybody is in such a hurry, right? Like every, at least every company I talk to, they're in such a hurry to get any insight that they find into production as soon as possible instead of like, let's make sure we do this right. Let's do that. And and because uh, although like it kind of makes sense because historically it's taken that two to three months to get something into production and then it, yeah. it's not all that maintainable anyway <laughs> once you get it into production. So like that's where we're trying to go to data mesh. It's like set yourself up that it is, we can get to a place where we're very quickly able to put things into production and they are maintainable, but it's going to take us a while to figure out how to do that and build all the things out. So like, how did you, I mean, what was it just that you were kind of constantly proving out that it was a value or like, how, how did you get people okay with, 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 uh, waiting a little bit to get that, that value out? Yeah, I think, uh, our, our journey with this particular engagement was really interesting um, and uh, interest, interesting in a sense also because when we were creating all of this data platform, uh, data mesh as a concept was still maturing, right? So, and as Zamak also talks about it, right? It's, it's not something entirely new. Teams have experimented with it. Teams understand what are the good practices from software engineering. They bring it to, you know, data engineering and that's where it, the entire concept evolved. So we were thinking about that and we were thinking, why not, you know, make the things configurable? Why not make the things uh, sort of self-serve where we can spin up more of such components as we need? So that did take some time initially because that's the kind of effort that goes into creating uh, such intelligent components or, you know, the thought process itself takes some time. Uh, but one of the things that we wanted to always uh, 
talk about was the value that it would bring in. So when we build a small piece of our data platform, we start associating the business value with it. And that was the idea which also kept um, the client team engaged with us. They also would understand how we are moving in terms of business value and not in terms of the tech implementation or the platform implementation, right? So we'd say that uh, today we're going to give you this sort of analytics. It might not have a lot of quality baked in or a lot of security baked in because that's still work in progress. But the business value that you get out of it is you start getting reports that you can consume. Uh, and then eventually the accuracy of the reports would get better and better or you know the compa- compliances around the reports would start getting better and better. So you need to figure out those thin slices where you are creating this base framework, but still delivering value in some shape or other. I like that concept of, of thin value slices, right? Like, cause I, I, I know we, we talk about thin slicing and um, just had uh, Amara Gafoor on who also at ThoughtWorks and, and she was talking about make sure that when you're doing a slice, it's not, um, only in one of the layers versus like the like uh, the the operational layer and the technical and the architectural and the like that the that you the organizational layer all that stuff of that you're um making sure it all kind of flows through and and what you talked about there was um I, I want to hear more sorry to 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 uh, cut in but like that um when you're you're communicating with people you just said hey this isn't this isn't awesome yet, but it does provide incremental value, but we're going to work with you and iterate it towards, but you have that communication because the the problem that I've seen so often is there's this assumption that the data is correct. And if it's, if, if it's, I either trust it or I don't versus how much can I trust it, right? How, yeah. how what is, is this providing me directionality, right? Oh, I'm seeing this thing go down instead of up and I want it to go up. Okay, that's bad. I don't know exactly if it's down, you know, 12% or if it's down 20% or if it's down 5%, but I know it's down. That's bad. Like let's 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 jump in there and uh and we're going to figure out how we get towards narrowing in on it, but like let's figure out how we can start moving quickly because we've got a little bit of information and we're going to increase the accuracy or increase the trustability. But you tell people, you give people the capability to understand how well they can trust what they're seeing. And instead of this is a one or a zero, this report is correct or, oh no, it's broken versus like, no, we know it's not perfect, but eh, it's going to give you a good picture. Like use, use this to, to, be smart about informing your own insights. The da- data-driven makes me so frustrated because data-driven means that the data or it implies that the data drives the decision. Instead of data-informed, the data informs the decision and then the person actually makes it. So sorry to have jumped in, but I, I love that thin value slicing because I think that's a really important aspect that I don't... You know, we had uh, Sean Kaiser and Gustavo Drakenberg, also from ThoughtWorks, funny enough, on, and they were talking about their initial implementation was six months. And it took them six months of, of you know, multiple people out there before they mm-hmm. could produce their first data product because they were like, we're going to make sure that we do this right. And mm-hmm. so 
they got to a place where they were probably able to more easily put out, uh, you know, data quantum data data products um, than your your way that you're talking about. But that's because they had the buy-in versus no, we don't have the buy-in. We have to do these thin value slices and show what what this can do. So I just I would love to hear more, but I I just wanted to cut in there because of the the it's a really important different approach than a lot of what we've heard on the podcast. And so I think that that's important to kind of highlight that. No, I think uh, completely agree on that. Uh, it, the buy-in also matters, but as I said, we didn't have that buy-in and these thin slices. And as you said, communication is one of the most important uh, aspect of, you know, driving such engagement. So we would regularly talk to our product owners. We'll regularly talk, also talk to our users or the consumers of this data uh, saying the same thing as you were saying, okay, this might not be accurate, but this gives you some some sense, some direction, which is definitely more valuable that, than not having any view of your systems at all or not having any direction at all, right? So this is how we're doing it. It, it doesn't have to be perfect day one, but we'll slowly move in that direction. We'll have you know regular feedbacks, regular check, check-ins, uh, incorporate that feedback into whatever work we are doing it could be the base platform capabilities in terms of data mesh terminology, or it could be evolving the data product itself. Um, and it it won't ever stop, right? You cannot still say that I am perfect today. My data product would keep evolving and that has to happen as your business keeps evolving. So that's one of the major conversation points that we had uh, with our uh, you know client stakeholders. Yeah, I think the uh, world is evolving. If if your approach is not evolving, then there's a, a big red flag, right? It's yeah. like, oh, okay, if this thing isn't, ch- it's it's where people are like, oh, when am I done with my data mesh implementation? It's like, you can be kind of done in a sense around, we've got the platform, we've got the, the way of ways of working done, but mm-hmm. your domains are going to change as the world evolves, the way that you're, you're interacting with the world, your applications are changing, you know, the all, all that stuff. So no, I think uh, just saying around that and uh, that would keep happening with every iteration. So uh, one of the other conversation points was while we do this, uh, we will also continuously, you know, uh, keep aligning the domain definition that we have with the business, uh, the current state of the business. Uh, we'll keep uh, aligning the ownership of the data product to the domains with the current business situation and also the definition of the data product. Um Again, one fine balance to strike here is you do not want to do this too often because, again, you know, you'll have your ROIs and your cost associated with it. So you need to figure out a pace uh, where you are staying true to what you are creating, but you are delivering the value at the same time. That, that was actually going to be my question of, of you know, constant iteration is is constant state of change means that you, it's, it's hard to actually capture the value, right? Uh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy of, of um, maybe, have you ever seen the, those things where you're in a booth and the cash is all moving around you and flying around you and you're trying to grab it and, and all that stuff. If you're constantly just trying to move around instead of, uh, instead of actually like stopping and going, okay, I've got collected this much cash. I need to shove it out so that I, you know, instead of I'm just trying to grab more, but I'm letting the the value that I've already grabbed kind of fly more because my focus is on grabbing instead of like collecting and that kind of thing. H- how 
how do you balance that, right? I mean, I know that's that's an impossibly difficult question to a- answer in the abstract, but like, mm-hmm. what have you found are some ways to to say, okay, we're good for now, or what what are some measuring points or or some is it something? Sometimes the answer is you know it when you see it, right? You'll you'll feel that it's okay that you're in an okay position, or or what are the signals that we do need to iterate more and evolve? Is is there anything that you can tell us from the stuff that's been that you've seen because uh, again you're you're on the ground and and that information can be very very helpful yeah i think i'll probably first quote an example and then synthesize that example into the theme that i've observed uh and this was more specifically around uh you know how we had defined data products and although we didn't see a lot of movement in the business but eventually we started having questions like Oh, you know what, this dashboard I'm not using any longer, but it is still under my ownership, right? Or this report I'm not using any long, longer, but it is still under my ownership. And although the business domain boundaries had not changed per se, and that sort of started giving us the signal to reevaluate those boundaries. Now, you could say that, you know, the business isn't changing and I don't want to change my data products. But then you'll start feeling that friction from ground where people would say, I'm not owning this, I'm not going to maintain this. And that data product essentially becomes sort of an orphan, right? So you want to still figure out where this data product belongs, who's the right owner, which domain does it go and sit in. And that's those sort of signals you'll have to start capturing. And if I synthesize it as a theme, I think the theme is you need to figure out the value cases that you started out with earlier. Are they still valid? Are they still providing value to the business or not? How, how often were you seeing that? That like in between? Okay, we're creating a dashboard or, or a report for this specific answer, and oh, I'm not using it anymore. I mean, like how quickly is that? Is that typically happening? I, I don't want to be like, oh, you know, in eighty percent of the times it was you know this long or this, but like because I think that can be again, a warning signal for people as to if you're, you know, uh, data mesh is, is designed to work with very uh, dynamic organizations. But mm-hmm. if they're so, so dynamic that your domains are constantly changing, then everything mm-hmm. is in a constant state of flux. And so can you really leverage the analytics enough where the cost of producing new analytical insights is just mm-hmm. never going to be worth the 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 cost you know the the value is just never worth the cost because everything changes so quickly that you can't even get to a new insight yeah no i think uh, you're right there scott i i think this phenomena is uh, and i can i would not be able to quantify it because it needs those many data points to be able to quantify but i've just seen it uh, probably once and I, in my mind uh, i'm assuming this would happen more around you know, the org restructures or probably, you know, uh, org taking up a new line of business and then there would be, you know, some merging, some disassociation happening. And I feel that that's not very frequent. So, yeah, I, I feel that there is still value in staying with these boundaries and value also in moving these boundaries when these rare phenomena happen. Yeah, uh, Danilo Sato and Andrew Harmella. Again, it's funny because I just keep talking only about uh, past ThoughtWorks episodes just randomly because they covered these things. But um, they were talking about um, it's okay to kind of move forward because you you find your boundaries that are good mm-hmm. enough. 
And yeah. it's like, is this providing value? It, is is anything perfect? No, but you don't need it to be. So, yeah. um, so we, one thing that we talked about a little bit in in the pre call is is to not do it in kind of a, a denigrating way or, or looking down on people way, but a, a little bit of the um, hidden pill analogy, right? Like when you're like with my dog, um, I, I had a, a really really smart dog um, growing up. And she knew that if we were trying to give, if we were giving her a piece of cheese, she knew that she was getting a pill. And so she would knew, know that um, she could get th- up to three pieces of cheese before we just pilled her, which is, you know, you just end up having to kind of put the pill in the mouth and close their mouth until they swallow. And so, but she knew that she could eat the first piece of the first slice of cheese and spit out the pill. She could eat the second slice of cheese and spit out the pill. And then the third slice of cheese, she'd have to take the, the, the pill after the third slice or with the third slice. So she was just like, I get three slices of cheese. My, my dog now is, is a lab. So she doesn't, if it, you know, you put it in a pill pocket or anything like that, she has no idea she takes any pills, but like, how do you think about balancing that communication around um, what are we actually trying to accomplish versus how are we trying to accomplish that, right? Like hiding the data mesh or hiding these incremental improvements, these incremental changes versus like, how do you uh, make sure that people are bought in that, that what you're doing matters, but that they don't have to know you know, data mesh is built on four pillars and I'm going to talk at you for, you know, 20 minutes to make sure you understand data mesh versus like, hey, we're going to make this change and here's why we're doing it. And here's the long-term impact. Boom, we make that change or we make, we're going to make these three changes and then you do those three and then here's another three and here's another three as you slowly evolve. So like, would love to get your thoughts on how you're, you're doing that rather than trying to be like, we will drive buy-in from the exec leadership and down. Like how, how can yeah. people actually take this and move it forward and, and move to a setup where you can then say, Hey, let's do data mesh. And it's like, well, I don't know if we want to do that. It's like, we're already doing like 80% of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's yeah funny in a way and also very interesting because we did exactly the same thing. I think, uh, as you said, there are two ways to do it. Like you could go all top down where your C-suite is by, bought into the idea of data mesh and they are like saying, everybody, you're going to do data mesh uh, versus you do it bottom up where people start realizing the value of uh, such an approach or this this concept or this, uh, you know, uh, phenomena of creating domain boundaries and providing the ownership. Um See, I'm still not using data mesh as a word. <laughs> yeah. So people start realizing that value and, you know, they start motivating their peers and, you know, more product teams to do it in a similar way because they would also want similar value out of all the data initiatives. So I think there are two ways to do this. And for us, what worked was this uh, good balance between both of these ways, right? So as I was saying, we initially just started with hey, let's do just this data partitioning in our data buckets and you can still own all of the data buckets and look what's inside those buckets. What is the data we're storing? Hey, let's move the next step and, you know, all the Spark transformations that we are doing, we'll just do it for your data and we'll not have it wide transformations across the entire organization's data. Uh, Hey, let's move one more step and we're just going to consume the data that you are generating 
and put it in uh, this data location and you can figure out how we have consumed the data, whether it is correct or not. Let's create a quality layer around it. Let's create a security layer around it. And as I said, eventually because of the ETAs that they observe, like from months to a to a day uh, in terms of introducing new reports or new KPIs, it was a conversation starter itself. They started talking about it within their teams and the other team comes up to us and says, hey, can we do it for my team as well? Once we did it, now we took it to the top management saying that, hey, by the way, we have implemented this. We are creating some configurable self-serve infrastructure components. Uh, your teams are uh, on board. Uh, all the knowledge sharing has happened. They are creating their own components and they're taking the ownership of all of this and they're seeing this value. And this is basically domain-driven boundaries. So this is how the conversation went. Yeah, and and I have a couple of, of potential questions there, whichever one you, you think is more interesting. And so if somebody's in a very, very... Um, siloed environment from not a uh, the kind of domain base of, of how to do that. Uh, I think that would be interesting. But I think also um, when you're thinking about data mesh and, and, you know, we're looking for ways of reuse, right? We're looking for, so what you're talking about feels like it might be that we are not finding that, that same reuse. We're not finding because we're not going wide and saying like, hey, we're looking for a reuse and we're going team by team by team and we everybody knows kind of what the end output is and we're doing incrementalism. So it might take longer, but it, it's also like that that's kind of might be what's necessary. So we'd love to, to either one of those, if either one sparks kind of your fancy as to what, what you'd want to chat about. Is there any insight that you'd have on either of those? I think uh, reuse uh, is is important and that's one of not a direct principle for data mesh but that's how we talk about data mesh right we want to uh, have reusable capabilities and then empower the domain teams to use these capabilities and create their own data products uh, and uh, when we started out it did take time because we were not looking at the wider picture uh, but we still had a lot of, as I was saying, good software engineering practices in mind. So we wanted to create uh, code and we wanted to create components in a way that they were, you know, open for extension. So today, if I'm looking at, you know, the only four different lines of business and I've created my components and configurations and everything looking at those four, if the fifth one comes in, how open I am to extension to that fifth line of business and how I can incorporate the reusability for that fifth line of business. So I think the basic fundamentals of good software engineering did help again. Um, and the second thing was, again, communication. So we told uh, the stakeholders that this is what we've been doing now. Now we want to go wider and we might have to invest back into some of the platform capabilities. Because that's, again, one of the fundamental principles with data mesh, that you create just enough platform capabilities. If you want to move on to the next level and have more platform capabilities, it would take some effort. But eventually, it will also round off like the first set of platform capabilities rounded off. Yeah, I, I like that. And just, I mean, this is something that... it. it, it it is a, a hard balance in data mesh of creating just enough platform capabilities, but that it's not um, cap platform capabilities that are literally only for 
supporting that use case that they are reusable platform capabilities. But I like that of um, there's there's a lot of people who try and build ahead and say, I need a platform that can handle these 50 different scenarios. And it's like, but you're starting with these two and, yeah. and you should start with finding ones that are probably easier use cases so that you're um, you're like preparing yourself to not have all these complicated things. And and I did have somebody on uh, recently who was talking about um, they do think that you should take on a, a pretty hard challenge as well relatively early in your journey. So that way you aren't just building a platform that's a lightweight, uh, that's only able to handle these like really easy use case things. But it, it, was, it was kind of an interesting perspective. But at the same point, you know, oh, I need it to be able to handle, you know, uh, a trillion transactions a day. Oh, okay. So how many transactions are you doing? Well, the whole company, you know, I, I needed to be able to do that for a single uh, data product. And well, the whole company is doing, you know, uh, in total, you know, I'm talking about operational transactions, not like credit card transactions, but whole company is doing, um, you know, a hundred billion or whatever in an entire day. And it's like, okay, so you're saying that you need something to handle 10 X for a single data product versus, Something or you need it to have this really complex security model capability of auto granting security when it's like you're you're working on your first like three data products. It's okay to just have it be an easy access process that it's not automated, right? You're not you're not scaling it to uh, you know fifty thousand people that are coming to the app. like stop trying to to make this the perfect thing that's going to last for the next. 20 years versus this is something that we can easily upgrade and and work with versus uh, like it's something that that is creating technical debt, but like create ways that you can rip and replace, right? When you find a better way to do it or when it's necessary to do it. So I, I like a lot of what you're saying is very pragmatic. It's, it's high pragmatism. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I think, so as I was saying, this particular engagement, when we started, we were essentially just working with one domain. So we knew that we are currently working with one domain and we would not have to create domain level capabilities in near future because it's just this one domain. So all of that was manual. But within the domain, the data product and all of the infrastructure associated with data product was automated. And that was the sort of pragmatism we followed. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think one thing that a lot of people struggle with, and we've, we've, we've kind of woven this into the conversation, but like so many people are in such a hurry. How, how have you worked with people to understand the slow down to speed up and, and like get people to, to not be in such a hurry to we need to get this thing into production immediately or, or are you saying, okay, we'll get it into production and then we'll slowly actually productionalize it. You know, it's just when you get things into production immediately, it often creates massive tech debt, right? And that massive tech debt, you might not realize that you've taken out a huge loan and that that lower, or that it's a, the concept of a balloon loan, which is this insane thing that people were doing around, hopefully they're still not doing it around mortgages where, um, you never pay off any of the principal, right? So you you buy a house for you know uh, you know a hundred thousand dollars, and then um, you're just paying interest on your loan. But at the end of your loan, you owe one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You've never paid down any of it, and you actually 
owe more. And that's kind of the way I think a lot of the way um, putting things into production, we don't realize the, the too early before it's ready. We don't realize the cost of maintaining it and keeping it going and, and trying to pay that down at the end. How, how are you able to make it so people are willing to have a little bit of patience when it's like, but I've got value on the table. I need to get it right now. It's like, no, please, please wait, please let, let's do this right. Yeah. I think uh, it, this is interesting. And one of the tools, uh, I think most of the thought workers would know about this tool. We call it a slider. And we talk about this slider uh, to a lot of our clients when we are starting in any engagement or when we have such difficult conversations. And we come up with few dimensions, right? And some of those dimensions would be, okay, you want it sooner. So time is your dimension. You really want it now in production or probably yesterday. But my my dimensions are, you know, quality and scope. So if you are ready to compromise on my dimensions, I'll probably be able to fulfill your dimension. But, you know, you'll be, you'll not be getting as much value out of it because you're compromising on quality. Uh, you cannot have all of the things together. So that's one of the conversations that we need to have with client. It might be n- not this direct. It has to be contextualized. It has to be <laughs> it has to be spoken about in client's own language. But that's how, uh, you know, these conversations usually uh, create a fine, you know, a good balance where it's sort of a win-win situation. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that, Yeah, this has been something that we haven't done historically well in requirements gathering, because even with that like slider thing of having an actual open and honest conversation about, okay, um, you want these 15 things. Well, here's what that's going to mean. Well, that's not acceptable. Okay, then start to compromise. Like what, what is it that, you know, okay, you want this in, in time because you want the directionality. Okay. Let's let's put this in in a way where you can get that directionality, but that we're going to you're not going to build anything on top of this, right? You, you it, might, it might be going into a dashboard as is or whatever, right? What, whatever you want to think about that as is, but you're not going to build a bunch of reports on top of this because we need to replace it with something that's actually maintainable and useful in the long run. Because yeah, yeah. you know, like, the, and that's I started to talk a little bit about. Um, this thing that I'm, I'm going to call the data Shrek, which um, or or maybe a data playhouse or something like that. I, I'm trying to figure out the exact thing, but data Shrek is like a purposeful data swamp, and that's mm-hmm. where you're actually just putting out qual- data that you have very very high trust in that people understand it is low quality. Right? We yeah. haven't done anything to actually make this high quality, so we're going to give you the play space to derive insights and yeah. then we're going to work with you to productionalize those but y- the only way that we can get to that trust level is that I trust that you aren't going to try and force me to mm-hmm. push this into production before we can actually like figure out what you're trying to do and maximize you know maximize the necessary quality metrics cuz it may be that completeness doesn't matter so no we don't have to have 100% completeness but accuracy really does and okay timeliness eh, it can be on a 2 hour delay and so mm-hmm. like let's actually have that that discussion around that stuff um Emily Gorsinski um in a webinar uh over a year ago now um talked about at one client they have um 
one data product or two data products that are the exact same data, set of data, literally the exact same, but one, the timeliness, they need it within five minutes and mm. the accuracy level is like 95%. And another one, they need 99.99% accuracy, but they have it on a, on a two, three hour delay from timeliness. And it's like, that's both are totally fine. And instead of trying to put them both into the same data product. So I, I'm trying to figure out how, like, Maybe you, maybe you've got good insights into this. Like, how have you made it so that you can have those conversations honestly <laughs> instead of, well, I just want the data. You've already got it. You're already producing it. Like, just just give me the data. And it's like that's not the way data really works to ensure the the trust and the quality. Like, has that been a learning experience, or has that been kind of a a, a smile and nod, and then you're trying to figure out what to do after? Or how do you have those tough conversations? Yeah, I think a uh, few things definitely helped here. Uh, one of the thing that we've we've been talking about is uh, shift left of data quality. But when it comes to data products, right? Uh, I think the quality is also for that particular data product. So associating quality with the product and then the people aspect of it, because we are saying that the consumers of this data are also the part of the same team, right? And now when we are working together as the same team, we are together fingering out the quality of this data. And we are together saying that if this is the quality that I absolutely require, this is the effort and the time that as a team I'll have to spend, right? So I think those constructs uh, have made such conversations easier versus a vendor and a client relationship where you have your client saying that I need this and as a vendor you're supposed to fulfill whatever the client needs I think uh, creating those constructs of team around uh, data products have definitely helped yeah and and I think um, this is another thing that's been in uh, an interesting thing so you're you're working within a domain that's consuming their own data so that that's that's a little easier to get them to see the the value but um so many people are trying to say well i want the domains to create uh, i want all the domains to share i want these other domains to share their data because they these have the most important data but they're not sharing it because they're not using it and it's like okay then we have to work on the incentivization structure and things like that i think banking makes it a little easier because in banking they literally just one domain will pay another domain and they'll say, I am going to pay you this much money to do it. And so it is like a, a client relationship of, of I'm going to pay you to create this. And then, you know, we're going to tell everybody how awesome you are and somebody else may come in and pay you to uh, augment it slightly and add, you know, a little bit more and, and make it a little bit more of a complex data product. But they're going to pay you, you know, I, I'm going to pay you $100,000 to, to create this. They're going to pay you $100,000 to create, you know, to augment it. And it's only going to take you 10000 bucks to augment it the second time. And so you're going to get that net profit. And, you know, it kind of can become a little bit goofy internally. But I think, um, yeah, I think this is uh, a really, really uh, useful conversation. So going back to, I think you pointed out Emily and I was going back to that conversation of SLAs and SLOs. I think that's also important. <laughs> yeah, Like if you have your upstream downstream data products and you can then have your agreements around time versus quality, I can give you this data the next day, but I cannot give you a 100% quality or a 90% quality. I think that sort of also brings some structure to those conversations. Yeah. 
fully agree. Well, uh, this has been such uh, an, an amazing conversation. Is there anything that we didn't cover or anything that you, any way that you'd like to wrap up the conversation? Uh, I think we covered, but uh, I would still want to call out that uh, data mesh is not a silver bullet and not every organization at every given point in time is ready for data mesh. I think it's really important to go back to the drawing table, start from business strategy, and then move backwards to figure out what would be your data strategy and how would you execute that data strategy. Well, and and as you said at the beginning, how it ties to your business strategy, right? Or or that your business strategy drives your data strategy. Your drive your you, you can't have them be separate, and your you can't have the data strategy first and then go. And we're going to use that to drive our business. No, it's, you got to think about what you want to do with the business. So, fully agree. Um, I'm sure there's going to be lots of people that would love to chat with you, follow up on on this. Is there where's the best place to do that? What what would you want people kind of following up with you about? Uh, sure. I'm available uh, actively on LinkedIn. So my handle would be balvinder-karana. And a lot of the stuff that we spoke about, all of these practitioners' views, I think we're also coming up with a lot of this content on ThoughtWorks website. So if people want to you know, read more about it, they can do it there. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good stuff that's coming out of there. I, I, I just talked with Amara and um, they've been doing a, a blog post series about like, what they're learning from a specific implementation as well. So yeah, I think that's yeah. been very helpful. But well, again, Belvinder, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. And, and thanks everyone out there as well for listening. Thanks so much, Scott, for having me. This was really wonderful. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Balvinder Karana, Principal Data Architect at ThoughtWorks. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Datastax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.